I'll just drink my Mountain Dew Kickstart. Oh, oh my god, when is Java coming back? <laughs> Why isn't a dog twerking around me right now? That's what I want to know. Oh my god, those commercials. I actually look away from the screen when they're on. They upset me. I want a gif of that twerking dog. I find it hypnotizing. <laughs> um... It's in between the Seinfelds, too, so it's like all the time. Hey! I hate you! Stop! 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 Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to the Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Thursday, July 2nd. This is issue number 20, and we are back with a full-sized thought bubble. Hello, Dave. Hello. I think the other one was pretty well-sized, but we have questions this time. We do. We do. We're going to do a little Q&A call and response. But before we get to your great questions that you sent in, thank you so many. And we have a few that that you sent in over the hiatus. Thank you so much. You sent in so many questions, just to correct Joanna, which I'm sure she's going to find really annoying. You said thank you so many. It's, you know... We Thank have international listeners. This for is important. sending in so many questions for which we have answers. Um, we really appreciate it. <laughs> Before we get to them, though, we just have a couple news items that we want to go over. The first is that Entertainment Weekly put out their San Diego Comic-Con issue while well, they launched some online content today. And they've got... A Batman v Superman cover with Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, and Gal Gadot on the cover, and then a few photos inside featuring Lex Luthor with hair, among other things. Dave, what did you think of the Entertainment Weekly cover that we saw? I liked it a lot. It's good to did see you? that they're colorful costumes and have <laughs> texture instead of just having texture. Which is Batman, but you know, that's at least what Batman needs to uh, look like. I have, you know, <sighs> the design of these movies seems really weird to me, but you got to just hope that it's uh, in the wheelhouse of each particular director that's doing the DC movies. And, you know, if it could get pulled off, that's the way to go. But photo-wise, I like uh, Lex Luthor with hair, because eventually he won't have hair. And, you know, that progression's a good place to start with Lex Luthor, especially if he's going to be important in our wide world of uh, DC cinematic universe. And it's good to see that... Um, uh, Diana in not Wonder Woman costume is going to get close to Bruce Wayne and not Batman costume physically. Um, I would at least hope that uh, if the, I don't want like a pure love triangle, but I would like tension between those three characters uh, to exist. 
I'm sorry, this... tension beyond Batman being like, I'm gonna kill you, Superman. Like, Oh, no, I would like sexual tension in all oh. three directions of that triangle <laughs> okay. um, going forward in the Justice League. I don't think they're necessarily progressive enough for all three directions in the triangle, but like a tension-based triangle that doesn't have to go anywhere, but is there gives you like a quick chemistry that these to these characters that I would like, especially if we're going to have to know them as a team before we get to like split off with Wonder Woman, who is a character we haven't had an entire series of movies to get to know yet. Um, just, you know, starting out with something that seems boilerplate, but just sort of sets a basis for these characters to leap off of, I think would be nice. And, you know, something that's uh, a respectful uh, sexual tension between all three of our our leads, I think would be great. So I um, I also liked the Lex Luthor with hair. Of all, you know, of all my quibbles and doubts and pushback and I hate Zack Snyder-ness around Batman v Superman, I have no doubts about the Lex Luthor situation. Um, just because, can you tell that I'm stalling because I've the actor's name has fallen out of my brain? Jesse Eisenberg? Jesse Eisenberg is the best. I have, okay, I have no doubts about Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, silly wig, shaved head. What a uh, skull cap, whatever it is that he's going to be rocking. Like, I believe Jesse Eisenberg is going to be great. His Lex Luthor might be a lot like Mark Zuckerberg, possibly, but I am actually really into that interpretation. I think that's interesting for who we see in our, in our billionaire, um, you know, power hungry people these days that, that, that is much more in line with, with this generation. So I think that's an interesting take. Uh, I say based on not having seen a single second of, you know, actual footage from him. So. Uh, the, my, my favorite part about the Diana, the Gal Gadot photos was a friend and colleague, James Viscardi. I can't really call him a friend, a Twitter acquaintance, James Viscardi <laughs> or Vicardi. I'm not sure if you pronounce the S anyway, from comicbook.com tweeted a side by side of that image with one from a Batman animated series or maybe a Batman animated film where it looks like it's an homage to a shot of Diana and Bruce from that. Oh, um, nice. yeah, it's I mean, her hair is down. Maybe it's maybe it's stretching to say it's an homage, but it looks like a visual homage, which would be cool. And a lot of other people said that they had the same thought immediately when they saw it. So that's kind of a fun reference if that is indeed what they were going for. I really hate the cover a lot. Um, I I think Gal Gadot looks like she's been hit on the back with a two by four, but you know that that has nothing to do with her performance. I continue to not like her costume. I just. Did you see the um, the Wonder Woman Barbie that's going to be at uh, San Diego Comic Con? No, no. Oh, it has fantastic boots. I mean, yes, it has heels, but it's like wedge heels, and it has all these cool straps. And like, I, I hadn't gotten a close up look at the boots before, but I'm now pro at least Wonder Woman's boots. I, I like her boots. Uh, yeah, yeah. And are- in terms of the, uh, I wish San she Diego- had like a. F- like an entire skirt rather than like a third of a skirt that had been chewed off. But as, as a fan of toys of the Batman vs Superman, San Diego comic-con exclusives, Wonder Woman Barbie is by far the coolest figure. The Batman and Superman one is all about like packaging and Batman has a weird wonky eye. So it looks like he's giving you the stink eye. So yeah, man, Wonder Woman Barbie ended up being better than a Wonder Woman action figure would be. Should I let you talk about the stormtrooper action figure at star Wars at the comic-con star Wars? I feel like there's going to be a lot to talk about with Comic-Con that we could maybe unpack for several issues if we wanted to hold that okay. and do that methodically and get we'll all of a, it. We'll put a pin in that then. Yeah. Um, our next bit of news is actual physical 
paper or digital, I guess, comic book news. Yay. Dave, you have some information about books for us. Yes, uh, Marvel announced its 45 all-new, all-different titles that it's going to be launching after Secret Wars. Um, uh, we're going to put links to the descriptions and, the more importantly, the test cover, or the first covers uh, for each of these issues um, in the show notes. But I thought we'd run down them and uh, check out some cool stuff that's happened with them. Uh, Invincible Iron Man is going to be the flagship book. Brian Michael Bendis is writing that. And David Marquez is doing the art. A-Force, which is our female Avengers, is surviving secret wars. And we'll get G. Willow Wilson as a writer. um, And we'll come back. Uh, All new, all different Avengers, which is being written by Mark Wade, uh, is a team of Thor which will be new Jane Thor, uh, Captain America, Iron Man, Vision, Miss Marvel, the new Miss Marvel, the shape-shifting Miss Marvel, uh, Miles Morales, Black Spider-Man, and Nova, which sounds pretty cool. Uncanny Avengers is uh, a team of Spider-Man, um, the Peter Parker Spider-Man, apparently, or at least someone in his old costume. There's a lot of Spider-Men now. Quicksilver, Brother Voodoo, Steve Rogers, Rogue, and what looks like maybe the Human Torch, um, and uh, Deadpool. And then a new female character, too, I believe. I haven't identified her yet, but maybe she's just a deep cut that I haven't found. Uh, New Avengers uh, will be Sunspot, Squirrel Girl, who is kind of exciting to be included on a team. Uh, Hawkeye, Songbird, Hulkling, and Wiccan. Ultimates number one will be a team of Black Panther, Monica Rambeau, Blue Marvel, Miss America, Captain Marvel, and strangely Galactus, who is like a planet eater and he hasn't really been on a team before, but is apparently on the ultimate team. Uh, Doctor Strange is getting sort of revamped with uh, Jason Aaron writing. Uh, I like their tagline because Doctor Strange now is an axe now. The tagline for the series is some surgery requires a scalpel, some an axe. Uh, Captain Marvel is getting her own series. Number one, uh, Tara Butters and Michelle Fazikas are writing it. I haven't actually read anything from them, so I'm interested to see where that uh, pans out. Sam Wilson, Captain America, or the black Captain America, uh, is getting his own series, and it looks like he's going to have some sort of ideological differences with Steve Rogers, the old Captain America. Totally awesome Hulk number one. The question is, who is the Hulk on the cover? His face and his left hand are blacked out for some reason. It's going to be a new Hulk. Uh, we probably know who that is, but no spoilers. Uh, the Mighty Thor. Uh, the Flash may be weak, but the Thunder is strong. Uh, mighty, minor spoilers. Mighty. Mighty minor spoilers for the Mighty <laughs> Thor. Um we know that Jane's Thor has recently revealed she has cancer, so mm-hmm. that's where the Flash may be weak, but the Thunder is strong uh, comes from. Scarlet Witch is getting her own book. Uh, Miss Marvel is getting her own book with G. Willow, Willow Wilson writing it again. Uh, Crushed It is the tagline for it, which tells us nothing, but is awesome. Uh, Illuminati number one is a team that features Red Hood, Black Ant, and what appears to be Absorbing Man and Mr. Hyde, which makes no sense because uh, the Illuminati were traditionally more heroes. Oh, I have to speed up on these. Hawkeye number one has both <laughs> Hawkeyes. Uh, Ant-Man number one uh, appears to be Scott Lang Ant-Man. Vision number one is because Vision is popular now. Contest of Champions appears to be a whole bunch of heroes fighting. Not sure what that is yet. Amazing Spider-Man number one is about Peter Parker, who now runs like an international Parker Industries 
and he's going to get a new Spider-Man suit with a green glowing emblem. Maybe more about that later. Carnage number one. Carnage gets his own book. Spider-Woman number one. Parent by day, hero by night is the tagline, and the cover has her very pregnant. Uh, Spider-Man number one is Miles Morales um, in New York. He gets to hold that down. Spider-Gwen number one is taking place in an alternate universe, but is still Spider-Gwen. Silk number one, the female Spider-Man that was revealed in Original Sin. She gets her own book. Spider-Man 20 under 9 number one is a continuation. He gets a new costume design. Web Warriors number one is Spider-Gwen, Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Ham, Spider-Man India, Spider-Man UK, and Spider-Girl, the Anya one, not the pregnant one. Um, uh, making some sort of Spider-Man team. Daredevil number one, obviously, is Daredevil. Guardians of the Galaxy number one is a new lineup of the Guardians of the Galaxy that Rocket Raccoon is in charge of, that has Groot, obviously, Drax, still there, Venom, who is now in space, The Thing, who is off the Fantastic Four, and a woman in Star-Lord's costume, who Brian Michael Bendis has revealed, is Jessica Jones. Yeah, I did see that today. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, like, the one thing I already knew. <laughs> Still not done, though. Drax number one, because Drax <laughs> is getting his own book. Howard no- the Duck number one, even though there's been two Howard the Duck number ones already this year. Why not? Nova number one, uh, which is the Sam Alexander uh, Nova, the kid Nova. Star-Lord number one, which is Star-Lord super popular, because Pratt. Venom Space Knight, because like I said before, Venom is now in space, which is where the symbiote came from before, so it makes sense that he started there. Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D., which are Dum Dum Dugan, Hitmonkey, Man Thing, Werewolf by Night, Manphibian, uh, a zombie version of Jasper Sitwell, and a couple of other people. Uh, Agents of Shield number one is you know our spinoff from the television show. Uncanny and Humans number one is Black Bolt, Medusa, Reader, Triton, The Human Torch, and Beast. Karnak number one is written by Warren Ellis and is Karnak. Angela Asgard's assassin. Angela's still in the Marvel Universe. Squadron Supreme number one. Those are alternate universe team. We'll deal with it if you really want to. Extraordinary X-Men number one begins our X-Men titles. Jeff Lemire is going to be writing it. Colin Budden is writing Uncanny X-Men number one. All new X-Men will be written by Dennis Hopeless and is Wolverine, the female version, who's X-23, a young Cyclops, Angel, Iceman, and Beast because uh, Jean Grey is in Extraordinary X-Men. Once again, we'll go over these teams once they get a little bit more solidified. All-new Wolverine, number one, is the X-23 Wolverine. She gets her own thing. All Old Man Logan, number one, is the old version of Wolverine who survives Secret Wars. And finally, Deadpool gets his own number one to round out the 45 new titles. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just have one question. Yeah. Because that was a lot of information to download. Yeah. My one question is, who is Hulkling? Who's, uh, he's one of the Hulks of the Marvel Universe. As a small, a weir Hulk, a tinier Hulk. Um, uh, like, yeah, like a teenage Hulk. Okay. Some that's really oversimplifying, but we should cover all the Hulks one time. That's super fun. Okay. I'm not joking. That 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 would be super fun for me. Okay. <laughs> I think we went through a lot of the spiders. Spider people, spider things once. That's how I've heard about Spider-Ham. So, um, yeah, all the Hulks ones might might be interesting. It would be easier than all the spiders, certainly. Okay. Um, Well, that was awesome. Thank you for all of that uh, in-depth information. I'm excited, actually, about a bunch of those titles. And I'm excited to hear more from Dave as these titles progress and develop. Um, We're going to swing back DC way now that we took that big um, Marvel jump. And talk again about the sort of Zack Snyder-led film universe. Um, 
Mike from Riverside wrote in, uh, Dave, if you could explain how Suicide Squad will be a, a Suicide Squad film and not a Batman and Joker featuring the squad, that'd be great. I really like Assault on Arkham and think they walk the line um, as about as well as you'd expect given the constraints. So, Dave, how much can you tell us without just like completely, I don't know, blowing the plot of Suicide Squad? Well, let's talk about stuff that's, I guess, widely in the public sphere. These um, fears are coming from Mike uh, because there was a whole bunch of photos released of shooting that David Iyer and the Suicide Squad team were doing outside that involved Batman. Car chases. Car chases with the Joker. Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. And it it seemed like those are going to be the trio focus. And then we'd already um, heard that uh, it was possible that Ben Affleck was uh, doing reshoots for something. And so it seems like uh, there's going to be some Batman in Suicide Squad. Um but I guess without going super spoilery, the director uh, tweeted at the end that, you know, he loves working outside amongst the people, but he was convinced that there were enough secrets that were still, you know, under wraps uh, that the movie hadn't been spoiled. Because I think that the Joker stuff is going to bookend. Uh, it's long been rumored, nobody knows for sure, of course, because nobody's seen the most updated version of the script, that at the end, uh, the Joker breaks out of captivity um and sort of has a prison break sequence that uh, is impressive enough to lure people like Jared Leto to the part. Um, uh, I would say that this is probably, we're going to see uh, how Harlequin and uh, the Joker sort of get tangled up together just as a basis of where her character is coming from, much like we'll probably see a little bit of why Deadshot and Boomerang are at odds with each other. Um, but I don't think that this is going to be a huge Batman chase. I think this mostly has to do with uh, the Enchantress and the Suicide Squad being sent to get control of her because she has magic, which is different than other things we see in the universe, and uh, people might uh, want to harness that to fight other superpowers that have made themselves self-evident. Right, it's sort of like... um... Introducing Scarlet Witch into Marvel, introducing the Enchantress sort of adds this whole new element, right? Right. And I think the movie's going to be more about that, but it is going to have a whole bunch of cameos and whatnot because the purpose of the movie is to not only tell the Suicide Squad story, but to plant all these villains and anti-heroes so that our universe is as populated by villains as it is by heroes leading up into the Justice League. Okay. Uh, so Cara Delevingne, who's playing the Enchantress, by the way, um, did have that, you know, pull quote from an interview, I don't know, either last week or this week, last week, I think, um, where she said all other, all other superhero films are sexist. Uh, she, I think she particularly knocked the Wonder Woman costume, actually. Um, which is interesting because I think Harley Quinn's outfit is the most ridiculous of all the ones I've seen. Um, and that's in her own film. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see more of what Kara was referring to going forward. I quite like her in general, so I'm not, you know. It's the same sort of thing where it's like, until you see it executed, all these designs are ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous. The, all, the only thing we've seen in motion is the Superman costume, and I saw it really desaturated, so all that I really know is I want to see it in full color, but, like, I don't know what this world looks like yet. So Suicide Squad, yes, looks ridiculous, but Margot Robbie's really good, and David Iyer's no slouch. So, you know, maybe a horrible Harlequin costume 
comes from somewhere. That's the hope. And then I really, I think it'd be, I think it'd be really weird to get through Comic Con without hearing from Jared Leto's Joker in character, talking to people, and not just like practicing at, at at concerts or something like that. Um, well, apparently he sent a video to the cast as well as like strange gifts in character. Uh, and I, I think that's probably the stuff that, you know, those pictures leaked of him showing something that looked like the Joker on his phone to somebody at like a restaurant. Yeah. I think yeah. that's what he was showing to people. It wasn't like a finished makeup test. It was this thing that he made for the cast to sort of like be in character. Cause apparently Leto's getting really into it up there. I keep saying, I'm All switching right. between Leto and Leto because uh, who, <laughs> who knows, but I, I would be I really surprised. Leto. I'd be really surprised if they don't let him ham it up. Uh, at Comic Con because that's what people I mean everybody knows they're going to see something for Batman v Superman because they saw it last year so that's what people would so he's going to you think he's going to pull like a Hiddleston and come out in character um I I mean you could do that or, or you just could video. just you could just hijack the clip of Batman v Superman like halfway through Joker oh like asked. a Hunger Games sort of breaking into the feed yeah, I, I, I would expect something more theatric from the Joker or from this version of the Joker because he has to be such a presence by the time we see him locked up, which he is the majority of the Suicide Squad, that if he's having fun, if the actor's having fun, you know, going method, I would, I would point that in the correct direction and let it be your PR because Joker PR goes throughout everything. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, so I want to go back. I know less, way less than Dave does about the plot of Suicide Squad. So I'm just going to offer forward my opinions based on like photos that I've seen. And Dave, don't work, like, you don't need to confirm or deny my theories. All right. Um, if it's going to, I don't know, spoil, I don't know. It, spoilers are hard. Anyway, point being, um, I feel like what we've seen is, you know, we've seen photos of Will Smith. Uh, character in what looks like, you know, his younger days, his street clothes days, you know, like that sort of thing. And then we see him in his, we've seen promo photos of him in his Deadshot costume. So it seems like there might be several scenes of people being apprehended. Like, I'm not saying it's just going to be a montage because obviously like the Batman Joker thing is more extended than that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we at least just got a flash of how each of these characters landed in lockup, you, you know, from their supervillain days, right? I mean, that seems it would be a great way to structure it. I mean, yeah. we know what, we know a little bit about what happens after everyone's locked up, and uh, or we think we know. There are rumors that Batman's going to pop up off the streets, also in Suicide Squad, but not necessarily in an action scene, but in something that could trigger the flashbacks that we saw. So it could be possible this is all structure um, that we're going to, you know, follow a heist or a mission that the Suicide Squad is going. But since they don't know each other, they have to figure out how they all got into this game. What I like to call the lost structure, even though lost didn't invent it, lost kind of perfected it. So, Um, right off island on island sort of, stuff no i guess it's just called backstory yeah i guess we can just call it that and not 
attribute it to Lost. Okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> let's, let's swing back Marvel way to talk about the Defenders a little bit more. We had a stand, if you, if you guys are just joining this podcast after hearing us talk about Game of Thrones or what have you, um, you might want to go back and listen to our standalone, uh, Daredevil episode because we did get a couple emails about the, the Daredevil show. We are going to talk about season two a little bit right now. We talked about it a little bit last week, but, um, you know, if you want our more in-depth thoughts, that's, that's where you're going to find them. Um, but here we got a couple questions. Um, this one's from Mark from New York and he says, um, about the casting for season two, there will be a Punisher and an Electra and bullseye rumors surface, but went away. Statham would have been quite interesting. Who would you like to see cast as Electra as bullseye? Any other daredevil characters that you like to see in season two? Thanks. I've got quite a few episodes to catch up on. So, um, you know, and this, this wraps into some other questions we've gotten about, um, Anyway, point being, <laughs> point being, I think I talked last week about how I was a little worried about season two becoming overstuffed and Dave allayed my fears a little bit by saying that a lot of these characters, like an Electra might pop up in a couple episodes and not be, you know, a main character. Um, something like that would, would work better and it would all just knit together better as a universe. But I still, I still think it's legitimate given what we saw in Age of Ultron to be worried about Marvel overreaching themselves, uh, when it comes to stuffing their shows full of characters or, or their movies full of characters. Um, that being said, I really like, you know, Dave's going to elaborate on this a little bit more, but I really like the idea of maybe filling out some of the courtroom side of Matt Murdock's uh, persona. Cause we only got to see, I think one courtroom scene or one courtroom case play out uh, in season one uh, with the heart rate and the lying and, and all of that. Um, and, you know, as much as I like the action, which I do, I also want to see Matt Murdock, you know, super lawyer. I think that's that's interesting as well. So, Dave, what are your what are your thoughts on this on casting and what you'd like to see in season two? Uh, well, Electra wise, the two casting videos for her that leaked is this is the part of the show where I mutilate people's names. Uh, Shiva Kalisivan, Kalisilvan. Uh, she's a Malaysian-born actress, uh, but can sort of pull out Greek, which Electra is. But at least they're looking at, you know, POC for POC. And then an actual uh, Eastern European actress, uh, Louisa Mingione. Mingione. Oh, man. Okay. She's been in a few things. The other one hadn't, so I couldn't uh, necessarily bring it out. But she's been in a few uh, shorts as well as the TV series uh, Rake. Um, for a few episodes playing advisor Chris. Oh, yeah. Which... She looks exactly like Electra should look. Yeah. Louisa does. Yeah. So, like, they're casting in that realm, and which is good because they're not whitewashing her, and I'm in favor of that direction. If I had to pick one, I'd pick the latter one, Louisa, for the reason that you said. She, I think she looks like an Electra opposite uh, Charlie Cox. Um Bullseye, Punisher, or Punisher casting, dig it. Only watched a little bit of The Walking Dead. He seemed fine. So this is like the, a way to grit him up uh, once again in the Netflix universe. Looks like he pull it off. And uh, Bullseye, not sure who I would put in there at this point. Uh, really, oh man, I want like a that guy, like a character actor to sort of pull it out. But th that's the problem with that guy actors is you don't know until they're cast. You're like, oh yeah, perfect. <laughs> Right. But like Jason Statham seems like a little too uh, for me, but it did 
like tip their hand in the direction they're going, which is a more uh, hand-to-hand combat ready bullseye than uh, we've seen in the past, say, with like Colin Farrell versus Ben Affleck. Whoa! Colin Farrell's hand-to-hand combat ready? I mean, especially in that role, wasn't he like kind of bulked out a little bit in that role? Oh, he was a superhero movie bulked out, but like you don't go to Colin Farrell if you want a whole bunch of hand-to-hand combat. You immediately go to Jason Statham. Oh, you mean like uh, as terms of like capable of doing stunts? As that what a, you mean? In some terms of somebody that has a lot of movies on their resume that shows that they're capable of doing stunts. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Because you got to have somebody. Charlie Cox could have a double. You know, he's his face is at <laughs> most half half exposed, so he's going to be fine. But uh, Bullseye, if they go the the tattoo on the head route or it's something that we have to see the face, it would have been nice to have Statham in there. So I guess look for like a physical actor whatever as long as it's not jai courtney i guess i'm fine oh but my god actually yes. you know what saying that uh, look to the people who've been on spartacus blood and sand if i were going to look at you know white people that maybe knew steven tonight and uh, could you know know what shave their head yeah know what that series ex- uh, series that he conceptualized expects of a person uh, i would look to that cast um otherwise um we've got a uh, rumor from Latino Review that says Vincent Piazza, who played Lucky Luciano on Empire Boardwalk Empire, has been meeting with Marvel. Uh, and there's rumors that of a reunion, which would suggest uh, that he would be on Daredevil with Charlie Cox, who's also on Boardwalk Empire. And that is somebody that I'd like to see play like an opposing lawyer or a well, who would be a criminal defense attorney. Probably dirty because it's Daredevil, or you know, another mobster. Uh, just because he's shown that before. But I think, like, you kind of top out if you play Lucky Luciano. His arc was pretty good in history and on Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> so maybe maybe try maybe try a lawyer. Maybe he will be singing because Vincent Piazza was also a Jersey boy in the Clint Eastwood movie. So. That's true. Oh, Is that- <laughs> uh, we got more news today from, I think, Birth Movie's death about the status of all these things. Uh, Daredevil is still in pre-production. They might have shot some stuff, but they're not earnestly in production. Uh, Jessica Jones is wrapping up the editing phases, and Luke Cage's writer's room is apparently about halfway through the episodes. Uh, the thing that's missing, of course, is that nobody has said anything about the Iron Fist series, so it's starting to look like we might see Jessica Jones and Luke Cage in Daredevil Season 2, but no one knows where Iron Fist is going to pop up yet. Interesting. Um, okay, yeah, so that's that's the state of affairs on Daredevil Season 2, which I think we're both really excited or, or uh, cautiously excited for. I really love Season 1, so um, I am worried that Stephen tonight is leaving, right, um, Daredevil? Right. So that's worrisome because I think you and I both discussed how we felt like the series got, you know, that um, – Stephen Tonight came in, what, four episodes in, basically, to take over show running? Or, or four episodes had been, the stories had been broken before he joined. Is that there, correct? Thereabouts. It's really evident if you just look at the writing credits for the show. Oh, the first one that's written by Stephen Tonight is the, you know, where the Kingpin story starts to unravel and where I think the season starts to cohese back together. Cohese? Cohese. Cohere? Cohere. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um... All right. So, yeah. So I don't know what him leaving is going to do. Uh, he's got two guys taking his place that have great uh, credits to their name. But, um, you know, I, I foolishly pinned a lot of my admiration of Daredevil season one on Stephen tonight. Uh, foolishly, I say that because I often do that with showrunners without really knowing all the moving parts because you can't know. Bald white guys do good for Marvel. <laughs> 
Um, are you talking about Joss's thinning hair? Is he, is he quite... And Brian bald? Michael Bendis and okay. Warren Ellis is what bald now, right? There's a lot of white bald guys that are in power positions over at Marvel. Kevin Feige's balding. That's why he's always he? wearing that hat. Oh, okay. He's Ron Howarding. All right. Um, hey, hat. This, <laughs> <laughs> this question um, comes from Ivan, and then it sort of relates back to what Dave was talking about with the 45 new titles. Um, and he said, I've seen a few posts going around the web excitedly exclaiming that Miles Morales is replacing Peter Marker in the main Marvel Universe. This is kind of older news. This came during the hiatus since there has been an announcement. But anyway, he says, now I love Miles. He's a great character. It delights me to hear that he will be getting his own book in the 616 after the summer's event. It makes me even happier that this book will called, be called Spider-Man full stop, not blah, 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 Spider-Man. My issues with these reports is that it's nearly impossible for me to believe that Marvel will be getting rid of Parker again so quickly after just recently bringing him back post-superior Spider-Man. Same goes for the actual Amazing Spider-Man book. I mean, originally I had written most of these reports off as being written by people that didn't know much as much about comics. I may be wrong, but I don't see much comment, blah, blah, blah. What really made me question myself is when I saw it reported on birth, a movie's death in a very similar fashion. Devin Faraci has a wealth of comic book knowledge, definitely more than I do, but I still find it hard to believe that Miles is replacing Peter. I would assume, maybe naively, that both will coexist in the universe that we get after Secret Wars. What do you think? So like I said, there's been uh, information that has come out since this um but dave let's give you the floor on your favorite topic which is spider-man it is oh man okay i'm gonna try not to just monologue for too long about spider-man but it's, it's tempting <laughs> so the thing that's really cool about the upcoming post secret wars spider-man light up with the exception of or i guess the two core spider-men uh brian michael bendis who wrote uh the spider-men crossover between Miles Morales and Peter Parker. Uh, it was a four-part series. Uh, ended it on a cliffhanger where Peter came back to 616 and looked at a computer and was like, oh, geez, or something. He was surprised. And we never knew what that was, and so we were always waiting for a Spider-Man number two. And Bendis, who is taking over the Miles Morales Spider-Man, has said that this uh, the first year of his run will essentially be Spider-Man number two. So Peter is somehow involved with Miles, but Miles is everything that you would recognize as Spider-Man. Is he a teenager? Yes. Is he in New York? Yes. Is he balancing the problems of those two things? Yes. So, well, I mean, and he's a superhero, so those three things. He has to balance those two things, because I'm sure there's a lot of New York teenagers that are doing well with general comic books about them. <laughs> um, that don't have the webbing that comes out of there. Right. right. So that's going to be what you look for in a traditional Spider-Man, and Bendis is writing it, and he's done great things with the character, and he didn't get to end his ultimate uh, comic Spider-Man uh, very well, I thought. So I'm happy that that's sort of going onwards. Um, uh, Peter Parker is going to be running this international thing. And what I've said for a few months now, I don't know if I ever said it on the podcast, cause I think we might've been on Game of Thrones hiatus, is that what I want from, uh, Spider-Man, if he's still around, is like a Batman Incorporated that was done at DC, where it's like, we're going to take Spider-Man international. And since there's so many spider people out there, I'm Peter Parker. I've been Spider-Man the longest, but I can't be taking the constant danger. So I'm going to run this shit. And so I think... That's what I'm hoping for, Amazing Spider-Man. Dan Slott's writing it. And if anything, during Dan Slott's run, he's shown that uh, he's 
a fan of taking things that you think are core Spider-Man uh, ideals and flipping them on their head. He did, you know, Superior, which took Peter Parker out of the equation. He did Spider-Verse, which made you question, like, why do you like any Spider-Men since there's, like, literally an infinite amount of ways on this idea? Why is Peter Parker important to you? And now he's going to take away, well, in Secret Wars, he's saying, what if Peter Parker had a kid, which he apparently doesn't have an amazing Spider-Man, so he's going to take that away from him. And now he's going to take away what we think about as uh, Spider-Man setting and sort of make him a, I don't know, international Batman thing. It's really weird because the cover, like, has, there's a neon glow on the spider symbol now that's, like, green. Uh, the for cover for issue number one has the Spider-Mobile back. Uh, driving along a building in Japan. So I think Amazing Spider-Man is going to go in a lot of crazy directions with Peter. But since Bendis has said that Spider-Man is the sequel to Spider-Man, I would expect him to be giving Miles advice somehow. So I guess more like if you're a Spider-Man person, don't be worried. Peter's still around in case they ever need him, and Miles is just going to get his turn uh, protecting New York and if you're a DC person looking to like jump on if you like the Batman Beyond animated series I think you're going to get a lot of that in Bendis' Spider-Man that sort of dynamic cool awesome um, and then I, I mean I don't have anything to add about that except I'm ex- I mean <sighs> is there a Spider-Man okay, well, you like well I am like you know I know nothing of Spider-Gwen or Spider-Ham um, you know, for me, it really is the question of Peter Parker versus Miles Morales. And I know Peter Parker so much better than Miles Morales. So, but I have Peter Parker fatigue. So I'm just really interested, mm. more interested in Miles Morales than have Peter Parker. Have you read the first couple uh Miles Morales Spider-Man books? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Good. I try to make everybody read those. I literally took them to Katie Rich's house one time just to make, them, <laughs> make her read them. Katie Rich of VanityFair.com, where Joanna Robinson also works. Uh, <laughs> Katie Rich of the Fighting in the War Room podcast, where David Gonzalez also podcasts. Hey, that's true. Friends of friends. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, if anyone wants to, if, like, the whole idea of Miles taking over and also loving Peter Parker, I think, really uh, gave that over to me. And the fact that they're both, uh, like, Miles did so much trying to make Peter proud and the fact that he's going to get to see a version of the guy that he idolized that isn't dead um, I think it's just a goldmine for these two characters interaction especially if uh, uh, Peter Parker uh, going worldwide starts to lose some of that core goodness that made Peter Parker Peter Parker Miles knows exactly what makes a teenage Spider-Man a teenage Spider-Man because he knew that version of him in an alternate universe. So he's going to have, you know, a moral compass in Miles Morales. Excellent. And I mean, you know, blah, 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 diversity. But still, um, it feels like at least with Miles versus maybe some of the other characters that they really were to make this feel like an organic transition away from a, you know, white, straight, male-led um, comic um, you know, Peter Parker's still involved, which I think is really interesting, but, um, you know, some of the other things, some of the other flips we've seen of, you know, char- known characters, named characters, the, the debate that always comes up, right, is like, why call her Thor? Why not call her something else? Why is this woman, you know, 
now Thor? Can't she be her own character? And the answer to that, of course, is, you know, brand recognition. It's the same reason why we have Jurassic World and not like, you know, Dino Land or whatever. You have to have the word Jurassic in there to get your brand recognition in. So you have your brand recognition, and this is how you promote a female character a lot stronger than you would if you just gave um, – it's Jane, right? Gave Jane her, like, her own um, – comic people would be less invested or maybe as you pointed out you what the phrase you said last week that i really liked dave was a usa today headline right oh yeah so you know doing something like that like thor is a girl now is a usa today headline and and you know that shines a light on on some diversity but then like that kind of diversity can sometimes feel you know as much as i advocate diversity which i do sometimes that can feel kind of cheap you know well, I mean, I'm not calling thing- out Thor specifically. I'm just saying it can be a little cheap. Miles Morales doesn't feel that way. And then, like, you know, pure organic diversity like you see in Saga certainly doesn't feel that way. You right. know? I mean, so- that's what I want to highlight is that I'm so happy that we're at least having this conversation and that it's changing to the point where it's Squirrel Girls on an Avengers team. Right. Is that, like, comics is doing this now. Comics is realized. Comics got far enough down their little rabbit hole of non-profitability that they've started responding to their audience. And it, it, as opposed to, like, television or blockbuster films where we're all, like, don't rape Sansa or take off your high heels when you're running. Like, that's just yelling into the void. At least right. now with, like, we want some representation in character as comics has found a way to do it that is at least... Uh, both sides of the conversation now have things that they could use to further the entire movement rather than just uh, hacking away at each other. I was listening to the, uh, let me make sure I get the name of the podcast right. Yeah. The Cater Die uh, comic book podcast. And she was talking to Curtis uh, Weeb, Vibe, Vibe, who writes Rat Queens. And she was asking him where he thought the girl, um, the female comic book audience came from. Um, I think it's uh, inaccurate to to say it's super recent, but I think we could definitely see it either grow or at least be more vocal or more recognized, the female contingent of comic book readers, Um, you know, and at least in my lifetime. Okay. Yeah. I think we just had to clear the early nineties. I mean, like the early nineties was like comics extreme and what they were doing was reacting with superhero grit really hard. Because before that, the comics that were selling were like westerns for the boys and romances for the girls. And it was sort of considered you could split it that way. You know, you had your Archies that were selling basically just as well as your Supermans and Batmans at that point, since they were like domestic characters uh, in the late 70s anyway. So it's like in the 80s when all of a sudden Batman got gritty again and got reclaimed from the television series and was suddenly about, you know, we're extreme and we're here through the 90s where it's like everything is big guns and uh, pockets all over the uniform and, you know, anklets anklets that have pouches. Uh, It just got super masculine. And then we pulled out of that around the mid 90s but by that time it was too late for the industry to sort of recover and we're just sort of coming out of that thanks to the movies i think uh so i would say like if you had if i had to answer which i'm by far not qualified to but i hopefully just talk through my thinking to like people who you know at some point got interest in the the mid 90s comic book scene had a lot more um 
probability to access uh, what was left over after the boom. So like in the early 90s, X-Men number one sells like a million issues and there are foil covers and all the big houses are booming. By the time DC and Marvel like lower, you still have all these runoffs of independent comics and zines and artists trying to get their voice off there that don't know that the industry is dead yet. And so you have this flood of comic book stores that are starting to die out. And it's much easier to just pick up something that you're not used to or to get exposed to something that is sort of outside the main two houses. So I would say that like that's where not just more female readers, but more comic readers were accidentally cultivated. And it wasn't until recently that comics started reflecting that back at them. That's interesting. Um, you know, and, and for my own personal anecdotal experience, as I've talked about on this podcast, the animated series were huge gateways for me in the 90s. So X-Men or Batman um, animated series. Um, but the theory that was floated on the Kid or Die podcast, um, and I forget which of the two of them floated it, was, um, and this is a more recent phenomenon, obviously, but that Tumblr played a role somehow in terms of, um, I think seeing art reblogged by people that you like and so sort of getting intrigued by art you see on on Tumblr cuz Tumblr is such a visual um form of social media so getting exposed to panels to cells you know and and sort of checking um no cells is a different kind of animation sorry mm-hmm. um and and you know and then getting intrigued and checking that out and then also the other side of Tumblr which is finding your community finding other women um you know and it's not just that you need other women in order to be a woman that's into comics but you know finding that this community exists getting recommendations from people and, you know, having it grow that way. I thought that was a really interesting theory. I'm sure she articulated it not only better, but probably with like more in-depth examples, but I don't know. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. Um, well, well fi- finding your community is definitely important. And I think that yeah. the only difference between what I laid out and what you just said, which I think are both true is that one's pre-internet and one's post-internet. Right. It's so like and 96 I, yeah. when you're on an IRC chat or you're not on the internet. Well, no, that's not true. That's like 94, 95. But <laughs> 96, where you're on AOL or you're not on the internet, you go, to, you go to your comic book shop, which is having this, you know, run over of stuff. And, you know, you see your friend pick up, a, you know, Riot Girl, And you're like, why not? I like Jim Mahfood. He does funny sketches elsewhere. It's And then that's how it kind of goes. And then once the internet's there, I think Tumblr does this for all sorts of visual art, much like YouTube does it for video and SoundCloud does it for sound which is just here it is, spread it, reblog it, add a little comment, make a conversation that's a moving piece of, of work that it, like encourages you to, to share and to pack on. It's just like basically what a comic book shop is. It's just easier to get to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when we moan the death of brick and mortar stores, um, we have to also acknowledge that the huge expansive possibilities of online communities. Um, and... Uh, you know, I guess, once again, from my own anecdotal experience, Noelle Stevenson, who did uh, Nimona and Lumberjanes, I found her through her Tumblr. She, and that's how she became who she is, is through her, like, uh, awesome Lord of the Rings drawings on her Tumblr. <laughs> uh, she's hilarious. She's dialed into a lot of different fandoms and was able to interact with it creatively in a way that got a lot of attention and then got her, um, you know, on to various other projects and up, up, up and away she goes. And that's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely how I saw her stuff was on Tumblr. Yeah. First, Pre-Tumblr, so. us art geeks that just have DeviantArt accounts, which people still have, but like, 
God, those were the days. It's like, dude, someone did this uh, Final Fantasy VII drawing, and the, here's the deviant art. I'm gonna follow them, and then be like, oh God, it's just erotic nudes. Oh, so horrible. <laughs> All right. Um, the last thing I think that I want to talk about. Okay, because I I do want to revisit this question. We've we've actually addressed this question before, but it's one that I like asked you on the fly, and I think you didn't have like a really concrete answer, or if you did, I didn't understand it. This, this could be either of the questions that we have in the doc. <laughs> All right. And now I know, like, keep I'm guessing. Um, and since you already had to stumble through pron- some pronunciation, I thought this might be a fun uh, time for oh, me to stumble okay. through some I know pronunciation. What you're doing. All right. <laughs> So this is from Derek, and he says, I was hoping that you could take some time to explain how the nine realms mentioned in the Thor universe, and this is where I'm going to go and say, um, Asgard, Midgard, Jotunheim, Nilfheim, Svartalfheim, Helheim, Vanaheim, Alfheim, and Muspelheim is my attempt at the nine realms of Thor, but it's certainly at least you've heard of Asgard, Midgard, in Jotunheim, uh, if you are a Thor fan, um, of the, the movie. So, so the question is how the nine realms mentioned in the Thor universe and all the worlds inferred in the Guardians of the Galaxy universe fit together. Guardians made it seem like there are many planets in the universe, including Terra, Earth, while the Thor universe makes it seem like there are only nine planets since both Lady Sif and Volstagg show up at the Collectors at the end of Thor. The Dark World, I'm guessing there must be some sort of overlap. So what is the answer? How do we map this Marvel universe and it's going to be hugely important I think when we get to Inhumans which is space right more space so Dave explain well, to me I yes. guess it's already important it's going to be important the next time it's going to be important is in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 right definitively I can say that um, blah, 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 blah. yes the galaxy uh, how does it work um this came up, obviously, at the end of Thor 2, so there's been some online discussion. I'm going to divert to a Reddit user's answers here. His username is TheBest13, who said, The way I think of the Nine Realms is simply nine planets slash areas in the universe that have been intertwined over history, primarily due to the convergence, which we saw in Thor 2. Dave aside, which we did see in Thor 2. That's what the Aether plot was all about. It was an Infinity Oh, uh, Do I have to watch Thor 2 again to understand this? Uh, no. That's just, awful. I mean, no. But just keep, okay. we don't need to feel more bad for Alan Taylor this week. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Continuing on. <laughs> Quote, at some point in time, the Asgardians cracked the code of the convergence that allowed them to emulate it and travel easily between the realms slash points in the universe that are affected by the convergence, which led to the creation of the Rainbow Bridge. This explains Asgard's lack of influence over outside of the Nine Realms. It simply isn't as easy for them to travel to other places, as noted by the Collector in the after credit scene of Thor 2. You might have to watch Thor 2 again, Joanna. I'm sorry. Back on the quote. (laughs) The planets we see in Guardians are the same universe, but simply aren't in the Convergence area, so the Asgardians can't beam in the way they do with Earth, Jotunheim, etc. End quote. So basically, and here's where I get to muddle some pronunciation, Yggdrasil? Yggdrasil. The The Tree tree. of Life. Yeah. Is the Asgardian name, because, you know, they have, their, their, you know, quantum mechanic reader is named the Soul Forge. They, is their name for this, like, nebula or whatever it is that uh, combines these nine planets. 
So uh, the nine realms are the planets that have been connected by the convergence that the Rainbow Bridge works in. So those are the places that the Asgardians can travel freely. They can also fly through space in the comics, um, which means that they can, you know, use the momentum of Thor to shoot upward, but apparently that doesn't happen, or at least we haven't seen it happen yet in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I imagine we'll get the answer whether or not Asgardians can breathe in space uh, in Infinity Wars, but... Yeah, that's that's the official thing, and I think it's backed up uh, by all the wikis that I looked at. So that's that's the answer. Okay, so let me visualize. Like, try. <laughs> this is such a great thing to do on a podcast. If we were in a bar right now, I'd take out a cocktail napkin and draw this. But I'm going to try to explain it with my words. Mm-hmm. We'll see how well I do. Let's visualize the nine realms connected, like on a string. That is the you know. Um, Visual representation of the of the um, Rainbow Bridge, right? Okay. Even though we know that the that the Rainbow Bridge, like I don't know, fires off in different directions. It's not a straight line. I know this from watching Idris Elba closely or whatever, right? But let's say let's say it's a straight up and down line, a string of realms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, let let's say that that is I'm making gestures so you can't see. Let's okay. Say that that, let's say that that's the y axis, and then running on the x axis is um you know earth and you know the planets that we know that's but then in guardians of the galaxy there's a whole nother other planets that are in a different solar system yes okay so (laughs) the way solar systems work is there are planets orbiting a star i yes i know that the nine realms are not orbiting the same star but instead the Infinity Stone caused convergence, connected nine planets orbiting nine different stars, and basically to do the uh, uh, what is the Madeline Langle version created Tesseract <laughs> capability in between them. Okay, but only those nine planets in the nine realms because of this historical magic event. Uh, so the Asgardians might be able to say like, build a magical chariot. And shoot off to wherever the collector is, and that uh, inside the planet of a celestial, inside the head of a celestial, but I mean, they can't just teleport there like they do. So um, the uh, the king, the you know, uh, what's what's the goddamn Anthony Hopkins king name? Oh, Odin. Odin, Odin's king of like the nine realms. He's not like king of you know, whatever's happening on the Cree homeworld. Right, but no like Jotunheim, yeah, so like Jotunheim and, and, but like, so then Odin is king of Earth because Midgard is in, which is Earth, is in the Nine Realms? Yeah, they don't see, you know, they don't uh, fancy us a threat, but they're, we're like lesser than So he's are. king of it, but like we don't have to recognize his power because we don't even, like most people don't even know that Odin exists, most Earthlings. Well, I mean, he's technically king of it in the way that Loki thought that he could just come down and declare us their leader because he was of Odin's blood. Uh, that would be, in terms of fealty, correct. Uh, but it's more like we fall under his protection because these nine ah. realms are going to be affected by the cycle of uh, Norse mythology, which includes Ragnarok. So right. Ragnarok, although it says it's the end of all things, it's really these nine planets that are really in danger. Okay. And so then, um, you know, uh, 
Star-Lord zipping around on the Milano mm-hmm. uh, is zipping between, I mean, he doesn't go to Earth, but he could, but is zipping between these planets that are in various solar systems, um, you know. Okay, so it, it's like if we were talking about the Venn diagrams of the various solar systems of Guardians of the Galaxy and the Nine Realms, the overlap is Midgard slash Terra slash Earth. I mean, but uh, no, the mid- Star-Lord could go to Asgard. Yeah, as gods Milano. Right. All right. Okay. So the overlap is nine planets. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. There's like a okay. smaller circle within it's the sort circle of, of You know what it's like? Galaxy. It's like in Candyland, right? <laughs> Aren't there like, they're like sharks. You land on a certain square and you like hop ahead and that's how the nine. Okay, never mind. I'm going to stop trying to explain it. I'm probably just making it worse. So anyway. Um, that's, that's, I think Dave gave a clear answer that I then, uh, made more confusing. So those are the realms versus the solar systems. If you have any other, uh, insight into that, please do write in at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com, provided we have not put you into eternal Odin sleep talking about that. Um, <laughs> which is historically not been good for Odin. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not great. It's not refreshing. Not nothing good um, happens when you're in sleep. <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, Dave. Anything else, comic book wise, we should address from this week? Oh no, I think that covers it. I mean, it's all it's the lull before Comic Con, and then it's going to be hard and fast across everything for a long time. It's going to be fun, and Ant Man's right after that. Ooh, Ooh. it's all happening. Okay, um, well, then that's it for us. Uh, once again, you can send us any email questions, comments, feedback, concerns to bubble your thoughts, bubble your thoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes at fightingintheworm.com slash comics. And Batman v Superman, enter the night.com. It was two weeks in a row I've gotten the URL right. Um, I'm just going to like, there have been, it's been two weeks since my last uh, incident <laughs> of not remembering URLs. Uh, Dave, where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Forbes.com, Geek.com, and Latino-Review.com, and all my podcast work at FightingInTheWarroom.com. On Twitter uh, at DA70. <laughs> my name is Joanna Robinson. You can find me at VanityFair.com. You find me at Twitter at Jarothis. I will be at Comic-Con probably pretty but don't talk to me well it's not that it's it's my first comic-con so if you see me like backed into a corner looking startled that's uh, talk to me then and rescue me approach slowly (laughs) make yourself look small (laughs) yeah make yourself look like ant-man and come approach me um no i'd love to say hi to people i'm just it's gonna be my first one so i'm i can't promise that i won't be a little overwhelmed but i will be there you know Um, what uh, saved my life that i'm glad someone told me is invest in making your own trail mix before you go that's what I do at South by Southwest. I always have a bag of almonds in my bag. And people are like, that's weird. And I was like, no, it's survivalist. Thank you. Yeah, because um, you don't want to get in Hall H and then have to leave Hall H. It is the worst. Yeah, I, there's one day I believe I will just be there for six hours. Yep. We'll, we'll talk more survival tactics off air. Um, I don't want to give away trade secrets to people. <laughs> um, uh, we will see you probably probably next week. But if not, if I'm gone at Comic-Con and we don't make it, then we'll talk all things Comic-Con the week after that. So thanks so much and bye. Mountain Dew Kickstart song. <laughs>